ballcancersucks.com. It really fucking sucks. Go get your nuts checked out. Go to the webpage. Read about it. And get yourself a shirt. Support them so they can get over this fucking terrible cancer. Put in B-A-D-B in the box 20% and get 20% off your shirt and shipping and handling. Stand-up is fucking hard. It's like boxing. Everything is hard. When you're a plumber at first, and when you come here, you, you meet people, and Felicia vouched for me that they come to you, they have these plans, and then nothing happens. And because they talk themselves out of doing things. Like yesterday, she says to me, what about that? I said, I just came from putting an audition on tape. And she goes, well, what'd you do for lighting? Uh, does it fucking matter? Does it fucking matter? You know, and that's what kills me about people, especially being here for 13 years. You talk to people, and everybody's got a different mind fuck. And they get caught up on the littlest things. But if they shot what's in front of them, if they worried about what was in front of them, it would be a lot fucking easier. Your life would be a lot fucking easier. So that's the other thing like she was saying to me. So what did you use for lighting? Two light bulbs. Yeah. What they've been using for 30,000 fucking years. <laughs> well, the tape, the tape is beautiful. It's an audition. I've booked a thousand movies to send them my own auditions because a lot of times they don't want to see a guy like me. So I just make a tape at home and send it in because when you have nothing to lose, you have nothing to lose. Yeah, and they don't know what they want. And they don't know what the fuck they want. So if you're going to be there mind-fucking yourself on what they're going to want or what, it's like stand-up comedy in a way. You know, when you get here, you have this act, and it got you to L.A. It obviously got you to L.A. You won a contest, somebody saw you, a headliner saw you and said you're pretty good. You come to L.A., and then somebody comes up to you and goes, listen, you got to change your whole style. Because when I'm an agent and I come to see you, I want I want to know the show that we're pitching. So now I got to cater my act to these fucking people. Because it's, it's like having a boxing style that's unorthodox. But I knock you the fuck out. If it takes nine rounds and it's boring, I do my job. But the people in the audience aren't going to like it because it's a boring style. Like Bernard Hopkins had for a long time, yeah, the yeah. last couple of years. He's older, so he covers himself up and he don't take a lot of chances. You know, people are always going to say something about what you do. But if you deviate from that path, you'll fuck up. Like, if you try to do stand-up mm -hmm. to appease, and you know this, Felicia, you, oh my God, you're the queen of it. If you try to get your act, no, because you're a female that's doing R-rated comedy. And you've always been, it's in your heart. I know, and yeah, It's yeah. in your heart. So yeah. when you first got here, what, people didn't say to you? No, people said all the time, all the fucking do time. don't do that, don't and do that. And you're like, you know don't what, eat my fucking pussy. Stop that. I'm the one that's fighting up there by myself. I'm the one that's up there fucking, uh, Lights on you know, me. when I did the Raging Bull 2, there's a line in the movie where the kid turns around to the Lamada, they're kids, he kills somebody on the street. And he says to him, oh my God, that kid looks big. And he goes, what are you worried about? I'm the one that's going to be in there getting my fucking face punched in. That's the truth. What the fuck are you worried about shit that has nothing to do with you? And that was, it, it's so weird when you talk to people that, this is what I call it, they talk themselves out of doing something from fear. Mm -hmm. You cannot talk yourself out of doing something from fear because you, b before you move forward, it's you that has to be comfortable. So if you're not doing it over fear, it just sucks. You're living yeah. your life in this fucking just go That's for what it. boxing is. Fear. Yeah. It's controlling your it's fear. It's you're controlling your it's fear. It's like Tyson. He could control it. Then when he got out in there with Douglas, he couldn't control his fear and it took over and he ended up getting knocked out, man. Fear is what pushes. I mean, I mean, for my comedy, I mean, uh, we've discussed this before, Felicia. At mm -hmm. seven o'clock, your pussy hurts, you gotta pee. 
You don't feel like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the show's at eight. You know, we could be doing it 20 years. I'm telling you, I've been doing it 20 years. And still, you know, at four o'clock, the insides of you. I'm going to bomb. I have no material. You know, I don't have nothing to wear. You know, I don't feel like going down there. They're not going to pay. It's 10 minutes away. Until you get to that stage. And once your foot touches that stage, all that shit goes away. It was just... It was just your self doubts coming up, yeah. but your self doubts are going to come up for everything. Yeah, you know. But that, that's just like before a fight. Some guys are nervous. Some guys sleep before a fight. <coughs> whatever gets you in the mood, the groove to, to, to make it work, you go through that every time you fight. Whether it's sleeping in the dress room or being nervous or having to take a leak. I mean, just stuff that, that happens every time you fight. It happens the same way. Then. The bell rings. The bell rings. Yeah, it's the same thing with us. Once you hear your name. Yeah, once you're walking up and the feature act gets off or whoever gets off and the MC goes up. Oh, this next young lady coming to the stage. That's it. It's showtime. Your toes open up. The energy comes from the fucking floor. It gets your knees. And all of a sudden you walk up. I mean, I've been doing this shit for 20 years. And every time I always say I got no material. What am I going to say? I'm gonna eat shit. I'm gonna yeah. bomb. That's just your That's inner. Just fear coming in. The That's the fear, and you have to control it. You have to either do something with it. But listen, it's the same fear. Uh, your son graduated from basic school. Right. He's not going to junior school. high yeah, next year. Yeah, yeah. You weren't scared to go to junior high for a minute. We all were. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's all little fears, and you challenge them, and that's why you, uh-huh. you, you know. Then at the end, you go, "Fuck it, I'm gonna rob this yeah. bank." You know, I'm, I'm not scared. I graduated from grammar school. I'm going to rob this fucking bank, bitch. What bank, bitches? Felicia Michaels. Joey Diaz. What's happening? Beauty and the Beast podcast. What's happening, you sexy motherfucker, you? Oh, well, just resting up from yesterday. When yesterday we had was a the nice little, day, a little party at my house. It was quite nice. It was very nice. You always had nice little barbecues. Even though it was hot, it didn't feel hot. It wasn't it was, that bad, No, right? it wasn't that no, bad. Yeah. Uh, there was great food. The ribs food were off fun. the fucking chain. You thank know? you, thank you. The uh, chicken was great. Everything was good to see mm-hmm. the kids, uh, to see Laurie Kilmartin. You know, Laurie Kilmartin. Laurie Kilmartin is so awesome, by the way. Uh, Laurie Kilmartin is the first headliner I ever legitimately opened for. Oh, is I that did true? not want to say it at the table yesterday because she made a comment about being old. And I was about to say, You want to know how old you are, dirty bitch? I was a feature act for you, summer of 95. She was the reason why I didn't go back to Colorado. I was headed back to Colorado to do my sports betting service uh-huh. and to be a dad uh-huh. and to do all that nonsense I was playing. And in July, they came to me and they go, you want a feature week with Lori Kilmartin? Like the Memorial Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And I took it. And the, after that, I go, how am I going to go back to Boulder? I'm a feature. <laughs> I'm a feature. Wow, I bet I know a lot of comics that have said that very same thing. I'm a thing. feature. Why the fuck am I going to go back? I'm legit. I did 23 minutes. I'm a feature. I'm ready. When am I going to go back and answer for 23 minutes. I was so happy that I was featured. I even drove it to the airport Monday morning. Wow. Like I was like, Lori, I'm driving you to the airport out of respect. Because that's how this motherfucker rolls. You follow me? But uh-huh. that's amazing to see her. You know, uh, she's raising that beautiful fucking oh, little boy. Son, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, she's writing. And she she's has a writer her schedule on Conan, down. Yeah. That's amazing that she can do that. She's She's got Did skills. Did you hear when yeah. you asked her about stand-up, what she was talking about? Did you uh-huh. hear what she was saying? Uh-huh. She, you asked her if she got up on stage, and she was talking about that she gets up three nights a week right. because what she writes is for other people and to keep her sanity. She wants to do stand-up. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a girl like her, I bet it's tough to get bookings every week that pay since she's on Conan and she's mm-hmm. got the child. So she probably goes out there for free three nights a week just to groom her shit. Yeah. This is, and that's what a real stand-up is. No, I know. When you sit next to Lori right, Kilmartin Lori. as a woman, you're like, yeah, I got to I gotta yeah, fix gotta, my shit gotta up. Yeah, you got to fix your shit up because she, she did inspire yeah. us, us yeah, yesterday. I mean, absolutely. Uh, it was really nice to be there with her. And that, that was it. We did the podcast with my wife, which was different. Yeah, It yeah, was a lot of fun, so yeah, that'll that be going really up soon. Yeah, that was really different, yeah. Yeah, that'll be going up soon. And that's it. Let me just give a shout-out okay. to my fucking sponsors. To the sponsor. Let's give a shout-out to these badass sponsors on Beauty and the Beast. Go to Audible podcast.com slash B-A-D-B and get your free audio download book today. Go over to that webpage. They got some great downloads for you on books. The books work on your iPhone. They work on your Android. They work on your iPod. So go over there, take a look, and tell them we sent you. That would be nice. And uh, by the way, I um, am, uh, just put up the new website. So uh, uh, we have a little placard now from audible.com. And if you go there and press on that, you get a free download. And there's also an Amazon uh, placard. If you are thinking about buying anything on Amazon, go over there and go through that portal so we get a penny. We're back, bitches. And that's all that matters. I got today in here. I've been trying to get this gentleman on here for a couple of weeks. It's been uh-huh. tough. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in the fucking world. Uh, you know, he got me into boxing when I was 400 pounds. He believed uh-huh. in me, and I went in there. And even though I would have two pair of pants on because I peed my pants because I couldn't breathe, he wouldn't laugh at me. I want to welcome my brother, Mr. Macca motherfucking Foley, in the house here tonight. Right. Thank you, brother. Good boxing to see you. <laughs> extraordinaire, hustler extraordinaire, Felicia. I have bad news for you. What? I think I just broke your chair. I heard some vibrating here in the chair, and it wasn't right. a fart. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to let you know you're not going to smell nothing but All I right. did hear some vibration okay. I don't right. think I broke it well, what's happening stop Mac? wiggling it I'm not wiggling it you fuck what's happening Mac Foley well same old stuff I'm at the gym working at Fortune's gym uh, I'm working with a few guys uh, got a couple amateurs I get this heavyweight out of Canada who's 6-0 and oh. he's a pretty good fighter big strong kid but he's like 35 a little past his prime but who knows I mean just having a, a heavyweight is, is very marketable. You never know what you can, what you, how you can do with a heavyweight. So, how long you been in the boxing game, Macafoli? I started fighting when I was seven. I had my last fight when I was thirty-three. I started training people when I was thirty-five, and I'm sixty-two now. So my God whole life you. has been boxing, except for two years in, in the Marine Corps, one year in Vietnam. Rest of the time, just boxing. Now, I wasn't a good boxer. I wasn't that good. The best thing I had going for me was people liked me. Johnny Toko, Toko's gym, he took me under his wing. Freddie Roach's dad, he trained me back in Boston. So I worked with him. And Al Braverman out of New York, he trained me. He's the one that sent me to Vegas in in, uh, 73. So I went to Vegas in 73, started fighting out of Vegas, hustling the streets of Vegas, making a few money going around, picking up cash. and You know, I love gambling. I've been a degenerate gambler all my life. So Vegas, when I went to Vegas, so man, I'm home, man. So I loved it. The first night I landed in Vegas, I met a fighter named Jimmy Flood, who was a middleweight in the early 50s. He took me up to Caesars Palace. I met Joe Lewis. I met Joey Maxwell. I met all the great fighters. And I said, wow, man, I'm home. And that's when Vegas was still small. Now it's... You know, so 
leisure suits and all this stuff. You know, now it's nothing like it used to be. What year were you in Vegas? What year did you tap down in Vegas? Seventy-two to no seventy-three to eighty-three. Then I moved out to L.A. And the boys were still in Vegas in seventy-two. Still in Vegas, in a big way. You know, but I, I never try to mess with the big boys because I knew my I knew I could get in trouble. But I was always looking for people who, uh, you know, wanted to manage a fighter and wanted to help me out a little and you know stuff like that. Looking for pigeons, I used to call them little yeah. angels that that helped you along the fight game. You know, I mean, I've, I've since I, I've never had a job in my life. It's always been boxing, and. Uh, I just love it. When I was a fighter, you couldn't get me in the gym. I'd spend an hour in the gym, then I'm take off, partying or whatever. Now as a trainer, I'm in the gym from 8 in the morning till 6 at night, working with, you know, I, I don't care who I work with. It can be a short little fat kid that, you know, try to make him lose weight. I get more thrill out of that than working with world champions. Because, you know, you work, when you work for fighters, you're working for them. But when you're training people, they're working for you. So it's, you know, I just love it. Just love training, helping a guy. Now I was just working with this kid from uh, Notre Dame High School. His father brought me in, and I started training him. He went on, now he's the quarterback of the high school, and he's doing good. You know, that, those kind of guys never forget you, and they're, they're grateful for everything they learned off you on their journey. So. Well, I remember when I first came to you, you know, we met shooting a video, and you said, you know, if you ever need training help, come and see me. And you, you were very nice to me. You were like, you know, uh, we're going to melt this fat off. And a lot of trainers will, will train you, but they won't say to you what you could do on your own time. A lot of people yeah. like, do this and then come back and see me. Yeah. You would always go, if you come in here and I'm not available, just get in front of the boxing, uh, the heavy bag, and just throw punches for three minutes and do that, uh, stretch it out. And today, because of you, I, I hit the bag 40 minutes. Yeah. Just so you don't need a trainer. No, you, you don't just really. needed somebody to show you how to do it. And you get it. That's why I tell guys, hitting the heavy bag, the best thing you can do, for a, not, not just for a fighter, but for anyone trying to lose weight or want to get their anger out, whatever. But hitting the heavy bag is so so good for the, for the heart, for the overall confidence, everything. You know, it's amazing. They say, like, when you look at old boxers, look at Muhammad Ali. I mean, his brain is pretty much gone at this point, but his heart is so fucking strong. Yeah. And it's got to be from all the cardio that you do as a boxer hitting that bag. Every time you hit that bag, like you said, yeah. your fucking valves open up and your blood just spit out this big yeah. fucking thing. And it cleans everything out. I mean, I did blow for 30 years. My, I'm a little chubby. I go to the heart doctor. He gives me a great fucking report, yeah. Felicia. Oh, really? It's amazing. Yeah, oh, he really? loves me. When I went to do therapy, when I went to do my knee surgery, uh -huh. I was in the elevator with my wife. And I seen Dr. Suleiman. He came up to me and gave me a hug. He's like, how's it going? And he always tells me, he goes, you know what, man? You got away with things. Because I told him the truth. I'm going to tell him. I told yeah. him the truth. I said, I did blow for 30 years in the heart and the sleep apnea. And he goes, you have a couple spots on your heart that I can see from the sleep apnea where it's put strain. But the blow, I can't tell. I can't tell them. There's people I could tell. Wow. And I credit that from, because I always liked the bag and I always liked walking. Yeah. All those years in New York, let me tell you something, in the 60s and 70s in New York, and even early 80s, and even today, 
I loved walking in the city. You lived in the Upper uh-huh. West Side. There's nothing like walking in the city. Yeah, walking in the sunset is fucking boring. It's boring. It's these long streets, and in between, there's like a shop, and it's closed down. And it's like accidental walking. Yeah. Like you're like, holy shit, I walked fifty blocks. Fifty today. fucking blocks yeah. in New York. You smoke a joint yeah. in New York, and you put an iPod on, you start fucking walking, and you just start looking, and you end up at a museum or Lincoln Square with the fountains and the pigeons yeah, eating a pretzel. Yeah. It's very unique, and I did that. I had friends that used to say to me, Doug, uh, we go to the city, we go to the Bronx. I used to walk over that Brooklyn Bridge like it was nothing. That George Washington Bridge, I walked that fucking thing because at one time, if you drove into the city to get drugs, they would look for your car to go over. If you're coming right back in two minutes, what'd you do in the city? So all my friends were getting their cars pulled over. If your car gets pulled over, it gets confiscated. I would just walk over and walk back. They never even thought of stopping me, the fucking momos. And if they were out, I would walk over. And then take the A train all the way down to 42nd Street and go right over the fucking Port Authority. But all that stuff like that you taught me, the, the walking and the cardio, has really fucked till today. I still hit the bag because yeah. of you. Joey's talked so much about you for so long. And he's like, Macafoli this, Macafoli this, Macafoli this, right? And so when I met you, I was like, whoa, it's Macafoli. <laughs> and then I was asking, like, what's your first name? And he's like, Macafoli. <laughs> it never dawned on me the whole time that you were like Macafoli, that that was two yeah. names. And to see you today, it's a. Yeah, it's been funny very because most people think I'm Italian because Macafoli. That's what I thought. Name. Yeah, yeah. His first name is Maca. Last name's Foley, and my mom and dad are both Irish. But, wow. You know. The one thing that always attracted me to you, like when I went down to see that you were a street guy. You, you yeah. were a guy that understood me. Like you never had any qualms or nothing. And uh, I think the first time we really fucking died of laughter was when you were telling me about your little arson stories in Vegas and how for a while when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fucking arsonist. Like I even tried it. Like I. You yeah. know, when you're a kid, you, you get into the light and matches and shit like that. But then when people go, listen, you could burn a building down and make this type of money. You're like, wait a second. I was good at that as a fucking kid. Yeah. I was really good at that, you know? I mean, you got the key to the place. You got everything. I mean, uh, I mean that's just that life. But, you know, that was that served its purpose at the time. Now I'm old. <laughs> no, I couldn't do it now either. Yeah, my I couldn't heart, do it now. My though. heart wouldn't take anything in that Foley right now. Even a line yeah. of blow. Like, I'm yeah. done. Once you get out of that, you know, that whole thing, I, my mind couldn't even absorb doing a crime today. Well, listen, the last time I committed a crime, 1983, I owed this guy in Vegas $18,000. I had no money. He's a connected guy. I'm stretching it out. He says, well, you make a little trip for me. So I had to make the trip to Florida. Went to Florida. I had like 60000 of me of his money. The guy picked me up at the airport took me to his house. Now I'm thinking, they put a hit out on me. I'm thinking, this is my last day on earth. I'm scared shitless. Because who am I? I'm nobody, I'm just an ex-fighter. But we went to the guy's house. We bought like 20 pounds for 40 pounds of weed and uh, half a pound of cocaine. I bought that and then uh, we put it all in Tupperware. We peeled oranges to kill the scent. I mean, not today, you could never get away with that. But back then, you got away with it. So I'm at the airport. I got 40 pounds of weed, and a kilo of cocaine. And there's a cop in front of me walking around with that dog. My whole life, I'm shitting myself. The sweat just pouring off me. I mean, you just look at me, you know I'm guilty. Somehow, by the grace of God, this guy went with his doggy, went left. 
I get on that plane, as you get me out of this one, I'm not going up against the lorry again. I think it was like 35 then or something. But that was it, man. Because I've done a lot of, I should be in jail for life right now, some of the stuff I've done. But total luck, grace of God, somebody looking out for me, something happened that saved my ass. That's why, that's why when I left, when I get, got off that trip, I got back into boxing. Kept my nose clean ever since 1983. Just working with fighters, having a ball. I hooked up with Freddie again when I'm when he moved to LA. I moved out here, went to work for him. That's why I hooked up with James Tony and working. And funny thing about James Tony, I now I never made any money working with James. One of the great, but one night he was out having dinner and this uh, agent was out and he's they were looking for a trainer. So he says, yeah, I got a trainer for you. And I gave him my name. The guy called me up. He hooked me up with James Franco. I've been with Franco for like five months. That's right. You've been training James Franco. That's why I told Felicia. All right. So I owe that to James. So all the money he would have paid me, I would have blown anyways. But that he didn't pay me anything, and he hooked me up with James Franco. That gave me a second life. Now, he, such an artist, James Franco. If you ever saw him hit the mitts, you'd think he was a fighter. He understands movement, setting, and resetting. He looks like a, like he's like the middleweight champ of the world. But he just, it's all in art form with him. It's all about setting, resetting, breathing, imitating a fighter, looking like a fighter. Now, he didn't, he didn't say he wanted to learn how to fight. He wanted to learn to act like a fighter, how a fighter does it. He, he mastered it. If you ever saw him do the mitts, you'd think the guy was a, a real, the real deal. Great guy, great friend, you know. Why? That's what I love, to get those relationships that you can keep forever. A fighter and a trainer, they get a little window, then they leave. But if you work with a football player or an actor, they I get guys that are firemen and that are cops that I worked with them for two summers in a row. And they were in high school, and they were having trouble with gangs or whatever, not making the right move. That boxing discipline gave them enough discipline to, to understand, hey man, I got to get through high school to keep to to go to the next level, and you know, guys become firemen, cops, and they love you for life, man. You get inv- the fighting game is so tough; it's so hard to find talent, real talent. That you know, you could be in the fight game all your life and never have a fight, never have a champion. You know, that's why a lot of trainers are bitter. They've been in the game all their life, and they hear about Teddy Atlas or Freddie Roach. They get a little jealous. You know, but me, I'm just happy to be here, man. Um, what is the highest moment you ever had <clears throat> in in the fight business, whether you were a trainer or or a fighter? My biggest night <clears throat> as a as a trainer was when James Frank, oh James Frank, when James Tony knocked out uh, Evander Holyfield in the eighth round. That was the greatest night because Evander, one of the greatest fighters that ever lived, James knocked him out. The day of the fights we did mid work, he was so confident. He could have beat anybody that night. Just felt like fighting. And went in there, put a great show on. And don't forget, James is really a middleweight. And this was a heavyweight fight. So he, he that was a, the biggest thrill, not seeing him uh, knock the Evander out. Because not too many people have knocked Evander Holyfield out. So that, was a, that was my greatest night as a trainer. My greatest night as a fighter. I don't know. I had a couple good nights, but my biggest payday was ten thousand. People say, 
Well, I'm going to tell you. Ask me what my biggest payday was. What's your biggest payday? 10000 You say, what fight was that? What fight was that? That wasn't a fight. I burned down a bowling alley and made 10000 <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, That's my biggest payday. What was your biggest fight moment, if, if I got to ask uh, you? Yeah, well, I fought a 10-rounder in Connecticut, and I won that. I, I, when Ali fought uh, Frazier in Manila, the throw in Manila, I fought a 10-rounder at the Nassau Coliseum. Fought a guy named Bobby Cassidy, number one light heavyweight in the world. Now, I went the distance with him, and by me going the distance with him, my stock went up. I stunk the house out, really, but I went the distance, and, and then I, I, my career got prolonged a little longer. Just by going the distance with the number one guy in the world, my stock went up too. So I, that got me some other paydays, some other big fights. But How many fights did you have all together? <laughs> 68 pro fights, I won 42, let's see if I can do the math, I won 42, I lost 22, and I had two draws. As an amateur, I had 78 fights. 78? Amateur fights. So you had 78 fights and then 60 68 as a, pros. So 140 fucking fights all together. Yeah, too. roughly. But uh, it's funny, because I was a pretty stupid kid, I wasn't that smart, but boxing, my mom and dad were so happy that I was involved with boxing. They didn't care about anything else. I was making like, when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, I was making $15 a week fighting. They had these amateur fights, pro-am shows. And you, you could be on the show and you'd make $15. Well, $15 as a 12-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, that's big money. And my mom, who was the, the sole supporter of the family, she only made like 45 bucks a week. So when I would make 15 you know that would help out, and she wouldn't have to give me. You know, it'd be it would be nice. It was How old were you? Uh, four, from well, I started fighting amateur when I was like 10, 12. But I guess I was about fourteen then. Holy wow. shit! I love boxing, man. And where are you from? I'm originally from Portland, Maine. I turned pro my senior year in high school. I had three, four pro fights, but all my buddies that were coming back from Vietnam, there was. They were talking about Nam like it was, like it was a romantic thing. I mean, it was like so. I I graduated high school June fifteenth. I joined the Marine Corps June sixteenth. I was in Vietnam in September, carrying an M60 machine gun. Stupid kid from Maine, man. But I made it through, man. I mean, I smoked. I smoking weed the whole time I was over there. I was a point man. I walked point. I carried the M60. I was. You know, I wasn't even, I, I don't even, people have bad memories of Vietnam. I ha, I hardly even remember it. It was just a blur. Then when I came back to Vietnam in 71, I started fighting again. But uh, I wasn't as hungry. I was I was a man then. And I, didn't, I really didn't like the fight game. But it, I, I didn't want to go to work either. I wanted to say I was a fighter and live the life of a fighter. But was I that good? No. But I did have a good manager, and he, he kept me sparring. I was a sparring partner for Ernie Shavers, Ron Lyle, Joe Bugner. I worked with all the best heavyweights, and uh, made. I was making 200 a day. That's all I wanted to make. 
I didn't want to make a hundred thousand. I want to make. But did you understand that at that point in time, or you just understand that now, looking no, back? No, I understood you, me. I mean, I how knew, is it to go into a fight under having those feelings like that? Must well, just, I just like to say, know your limitations. I knew my limitations. I knew how good I was, and I knew how bad I was. But I could, I could get the best out of myself, and still. I was a survivor in the fight game. Mm -hmm. You know, like Rocky, you wanted to go the distance. I just wanted to be in the fight game. That's all. But I wanted to be, uh, you know, in that You were world. content with, you know, you told me something in the car. You said at one time you were picking up $100 a day, 20 for weed, 20 for a nice steak. Yeah, yeah. Few you didn't need 20 for a steak. You get a steak dinner in Vegas yeah, back for then for two bucks. Yeah, and it's funny how... At one time, I used to judge my life like that. Way before stand-up, I would say, you know what, if I go on the daytime with no job, like I would get a job and I'm like, I'm digging a trench for eight bucks an hour. That's $64 for the fucking day and I got to work. I go out in the street and make a hundred. Yeah, sell you get an ounce it. of weed, a gram of blow. So I go, if I can make a hundred a day, I'm fucking good. And, yeah. and you think like a hundred a day, a hundred a day cash ain't fucking bad. What do you need? A 20 of weed yeah. and steak? Listen, the guy I would go to a guy's house, his apartment, He'd give me ten thousand and twenties. I would go to the table. I would buy in for a hundred, cash it up. Then I would go to a slot girl and just cash in the things and then cash in the chips in to turn their turn into hundreds. So get the the laundry the twenties to get the hundreds. I would take me two hours to cash ten thousand and twenties. I'd make two hundred for doing it. I mean two hundred a day for a kid in Vegas. That was that was all I wanted. I didn't want to fight and make 200000 I just wanted to be the sparring partner and make a couple hundred bucks. Sparring. You were content. Yeah. And, and I knew that any kind of serious money, if I ever had serious money, I could really get myself in trouble. In trouble. You I were knew scared that. of serious money. Yeah. So, yeah, I was the I same mean, way. Yeah. I had a couple hundred thousand once in my safety deposit. It wasn't all my money, but, you know, it didn't take me long to blow it, you know. Even though it wasn't your yeah. money. Yeah. And then... I had to pay back. What I was doing was I was out here and I had a guy in Boston. We were trying to middle the lines. Like the point spread is four in Boston. Four in Boston, and right. It's two seven and a half here, out yeah. here. So you want you to get bet them right both sides. You try to catch the middle. You know, I was doing that. And I had all these ways of making money. And just if I Explain could make... Explain to the people at home catching a bet on the middle. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, so you get... You let's get say both. you have the Nick... Let's say you have the Heat... Against uh, whoever they just played. Boston or whatever. Whoever the yeah. fuck they Charlotte. Yeah. All right. And they're giving the Heat's giving four in Miami. And in, in Charlotte, they're getting two and a half or something. But, well, Charlotte's the. Well, yeah, the Heat yeah. is favored more in Miami. In Miami, absolutely. Than it is in than Charlotte. What it would be okay. in Charlotte. Yeah. And out here, they would be even favored less. Yeah. It would be like two point less across the country. Right, right. In every every area of the country, the spread is a little different because of the fan base or whatever. It's, but you try to catch the middle. When you catch the middle, you you win both ends of the bets. And that was fun. But it's a grind. It's a grind. Oh, it's thing. a fucking grind. Man. I mean, especially when you're doing baseball, you're trying. When you're oh, doing fuck. 162 games and just trying to catch the right pitcher at the right time. I mean, it's a grind. But guys do it. You know. Guys can you, you can, there's a hustle there, but you can really do it. Gambling was one of the scariest things I did. Like I did it for a while, yeah. and I learned how to do it right. And I try to get the lines, yeah. and I try to. I'm really good with lines, but you know what, man? At the end of the fucking week, if you throw enough spaghetti against the wall, it's gonna stick. They're gonna get you. 
Yeah. Or you can't win. That's the worst. That's the worst. I mean, drugs are even better than gambling because you get something out of drugs or alcohol, but you get nothing out of gambling. Nothing. When I was a kid, I used to pay the bookie 200 on a Thursday. I used to go, am I fucking kidding me? You know how many people had to rob to give this guy 200 fucking hard-earned dollars? Yeah, yeah. And I go, fuck it. I'm just going to do blow. That was my mentality because at least with blow, maybe I'll get my dick sucked and I know for sure I'll look out a window. I know yeah, for yeah. sure I'll get paranoid, and that'll add three or four hours to my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you uh-huh. crawl and looking for a rock. With gambling, the game is over, and you got to pay this fucking guy on Thursday. You got to pay. And you if, you're rust- if you're hustling, that's one thing. When you got to get up and dig a trench to pay some fucking guy, oh, that hurts. Oh, yeah. That fucking hurts. You have no idea how much that hurts. When you're hustling and you're out thieving, and this guy's getting mugged, and you're rolling this guy, who gives a fuck? 200 is just a... It's yeah, just a, a just price a to do business. Just a fuck it. That's just my, that's part of my week. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's how, how did you transition into uh, doing things in Vegas? <laughs> well, you know, I we'll knew say. guys. When I landed in Vegas, I met this guy named Jimmy Flood, a middleweight out of the 50s. And he brought me to this flower shop. And, you know, it was a flower shop. But in the back room of the flower shop, it was a bookmaking thing. A guy named Jaspab. That's where the major booking was going on. Not these race books. At this guy, he he ended up dying recently, but he was he was a, the biggest bookmaker in Vegas in the '60s and early '70s. So we'd go there, and then I met a guy. Well, you want to go around while I pick up this money? So I'd just drive around with the guy, and he would go in. And if he wanted me to go with him, the guy was he wanted me to, you know, stir a little fear into the guy. The guy's running late. You just go in with him, say, yeah, you know, Frank needs his money or whatever. And usually you get the money. Once in a while, you got to lean on the guy a little harder. But, uh, you know, you can't hit a guy. If you hit a guy, if I owe you money and you beat me up, I'm never going to pay you your money. So I got to find a way to say, hey, just give me a little this week and I'll talk to the guy. So keep the juice coming in. Where, mm-hmm. You know, that's what. Same thing American Express and Visa do these. <laughs> yeah. They just want the juice. That's where they got the idea from. Yeah. They tried to figure out how to juice people every week. You know yeah. what? You want to owe me 100 bucks? You can owe me 100 bucks for the rest of the life. Give me five just give me $5 a, a fucking week. Yeah. That's all I need because I'm going to make my money back for fucking life. You know, yeah. they'll juice you. Uh, they'll juice you for fucking everything, yeah. dog. And we used to, I had a thing. I'd give a guy 10. Now I started loaning the money. I would give a guy 10000 on Friday. Now, he probably went and bought drugs with it. But on Monday, he would pay me back 12000 So I was making 2000 a week for doing nothing. nothing. And I was also blowing all that. I was like a you know, kid in a candy store. About 2000 a week was, was action. Keep you in action, keep you running, this and that. That was great. That worked out. And, the, and eventually, he got in trouble. But, you know, that's the way I had a couple of things like that going for me in Vegas. I was like a kid, man. I was so happy. I made it back from Vietnam. You know, I was still in the fight game. And I was making money and I had my brains. I mean, you know, a lot of fighters, you know, they're in bad shape, man. It's amazing what that lifestyle is like. Because after 92, I got into comedy. But comedy is few and far between. I know I didn't want to work. So from 91 to 95, basically, I was a part-time sports handicapper, which I had a job, but in the summertime, I wouldn't have any fucking work. 
So I would pretty much do crime. And I remember my open mic, my original. Like, <laughs> like if I think of my open mic, like if I go to myself, I was an open mic for five years. If I think of the year that um, I made my open mic, was 94 in New York. When I was basically, my whole comedy career was revolved around my criminal career. Yeah. It went hand in hand. And yeah, I had a job driving a limo. That was to pay child support. For yeah. me to live and to snort and to fuck and to suck and to wear a suit and to eat nice. I had to fucking do whatever I had to do. Yeah. So I would wake up in the morning. You wake up broke. So you wake up in the morning, you go to a diner, they have a tab for you. Not like having a tab for breakfast. You go somewhere and go put the breakfast on my tab and give me a 20 out of the register to get oh, my day started. Yeah, and you sign for it. That's old school. You have to sign for it. So you sign your tab plus a 20. The waitress will give you a 20 right out of her kick. And you sign for it. I used to go to a Charlie's. And Anthony, a Charlie, a kid that is on Facebook now. And I always uh -huh. wish him a great day because I'll never forget how many tens I took from him and how to pay him back the next day. Charlie, give me a 10 in breakfast. I'll give it to you tomorrow. Just to get me a daily news, just to look at the lines for the sports, uh -huh. just to get gambling, yeah. just to talk gambling at the bar, uh -huh. to get some poor soul to give me $55 for a bet. That $55, uh -huh. the bet was going to get pulled in. But that $55 was fueling my cocaine addiction and my alcohol and my lunch for yeah. the day. Just now I had a chase. Now I had to chase that fifty-five dollars. You follow me? Uh -huh. So Felicia comes in with a bunch of jackets. Give me five jackets. I'll sell them for forty and keep ten off the top. I just got my fifty back, and it's just a constant life. And I remember I was eighteen doing this. I had this lifestyle at eighteen where you're just running numbers in your head all fucking day. And I remember going to Colorado and sleeping and sleeping for three weeks. Because my body wasn't tired, yeah. my mind from the stress and the fucking nobody Sweating. knows. But in '94, I would do comedy, and I was surrounded my comedy with thievery, and going and buying blow. That's how I financed. Yeah. I, I was at the boxing gym on 42nd Street, and I would hang clothes in there. I would take showers, and I'd go do a couple sit-ups and hit the bag. But I used it as a as a central point, so I could go out at night and do comedy and leave clothes there. Yeah, yeah. But I was basically a fucking criminal. And I sit today and think about that time. When you're trying to box, you're trying to be in the game, you got one foot in the game and one in comedy, it's fucking scary. Yeah. And I knew at any time, if the cops arresting me, my comedy's done. Any time. The any comedy time has no problem. value to it now. Yeah. So I'm But you get most of your comedy was from... From that, from absolutely. That, you get you know, your comedy from that mentality. I mean, you met more wise guys that are more natural actors than anybody in the world, man. I mean, they just that's just what they've been doing for so long. It's just their character. I mean, you see a lot of characters in, around gyms and around uh, racetracks that are always, you know, kind of funny characters. You know? And you see what their strengths are. You meet characters at tracks and stuff like that. They, they might be unemployed or whatever, but at one time, these guys were engineers. Yeah. And now they're using their mind into tricking their engineer. These are people with families that were decent people, that mm -hmm. were tax people. Now they're letting their degenerate gambling take over which is an addiction, and then you become what we were doing at one time, yeah. which is hustling with a kid. It's a, it's very weird to see the different, like, just because you go to the track doesn't mean you're a gambler. You go out there and make a living without being a gambler because if Felicia Michaels hits a horse for $12,000, her husband finds out she hit that horse for $12,000. But if she brings Joey with you, Joey will do the paperwork for you, and all you got to do is give me 1000 off the top. Okay. <laughs> and it goes into my taxes. And I'll do that all fucking day. I don't have a job, but I'll make 80000 a year in winnings at the track. Yeah. But nobody will know about Felicia's 12000 There's a 1,000 people that do that. Hey, I just won 1100 My ex-wife can't find out. 
do the fucking paperwork, motherfucker. Yeah. If we do the paperwork, and I just made eleven hundred dollars for the yeah. day because I'm charging you five or ten percent. Yeah, for but when your you, fucking winnings. When you live that lifestyle, you put so much time into the grind that you actually went to work. You would make the same amount of money, uh, absolutely, with less headache and less tension. Because when you owe the guy money, there's fear and there's a lot of stuff involved. But if you just went and had a job and got a job, life would be easier. But that world, something about it, it's you get in it and you just you think you're in something, but you you're really not in it. Makes your fucking heart beat to go home yeah. and have to climb in through your back window. <laughs> because it's a car in front of the house. It could be a, it could be a yeah. top. It could be a bookie. It could be two drug dealers you owe money to. Uh, it could yeah, be an ex. Yeah. It could be somebody you robbed. So you got to sneak into your house. You can't turn the light off. You, if you do yeah. do coke, you have to be paranoid quietly. Or you owe the guy. Oh, right? my God. That's a horrible lifestyle. Who's going to knock on the door? People just go, fuck it. He owes money. I'll knock on his door at 5 in the yeah. fucking morning. Here you are with a girl that doesn't know about your lifestyle. And two gorillas knock on your fucking door at 5 in the morning. So the last crime that you did, I'm going to shift this because I'm very curious about it. Was that the most scared you were? Because you said you quit after that. Yeah. Then that, when I was in that, on that line at the airport, I had two big, it was like spring break. All these kids and chicks running around with cutoffs and nobody even had a suitcase. I looked like Nanook of the North. I had two massive suitcases. The cop was walking around. And when I, here's what happened. I was in line. And I saw it, and this was Fort Lauderdale. I was so scared, I went to a cab, and I took the cab to Miami, to the Miami airport. Then I'm in line at the Miami airport, and there's a, a black guy that, you know, the what do they call them? The, the guys that take your luggage the and carrots, stuff. The carrots, yeah. the luggage. So I'm in carrots. line, and I'm ready to check in with him, and this black guy, he's no fool. I hand him the ticket, he looks down at the suitcases and looks at me. <sighs> I just knew he, he could smell something funny. Then I went up to the gate 16, I went to gate 18, and I was watching them put the luggage on gate 16, and I saw those two big pieces of uh -huh. luggage. Then I went back and I went on the plane. But that was scary, it was scary stuff. But when you're young, you're not as scared. I mean, you just want to be in action. Now, I don't even run a red light. I mean, I, you know, I don't even want to go up against the law. I mean, you can't win anyways. But how I won all those years, how I went with, with not doing time is a miracle because it's just pure luck. One incident, there's this, I was in Boston and there was this FBI guy and his brother had just, his, I went to, he called me, he said, come on over to the house. I went over to his house. He hands me a 38 pistol. He said, I want you to kill these guys. Now I said, hey, Billy, I'm not gonna do that. He said, well, just rough them up. He gave me a back. He had four guys beat up his brother. His brother was a loud mouth drunk. But he was his brother. So I went and kicked the shit out of these five guys. I mean, gave them all beatings. And from that night forward, I had a connection with the FBI. So anytime I get in trouble with the police or there was a little trouble, I would always say, hey, Billy, this guy, let me make a call. And I, he saved my ass for two or three years. And I was doing some pretty shady stuff. And then he called me, called me, and he said, Mac, you gotta get out of town. So I left town. That's when I went from Boston to Vegas. You know, just pure luck. The grace of God is the only thing that saved me. Because I'm not a smart guy. I'm not a very intelligent guy. But I was just lucky. Just was, pure luck. Was it hard to leave that lifestyle? No. 
I was happy to leave it, man, because... Did you just do it cold turkey and then that was it? Yeah. Well, I owed money. I had to get out of Vegas. I moved to, uh, to L.A. I met my landlord, Mrs. Paulson. Uh, same place I'm in now. I went there in 85. My rent was 300 a month. I had no money. I had no means of support. I mean, I'm an ex-fighter. What, what am I going to do? A security guard somewhere or something? I had no way of, of even making money. But she would... She will, she let me go two years without paying rent. Then I started catching up with the rent. I did. I went for an audition, and I got on that movie Ghost, and I was in the opening scene from Ghost. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, so I'm waiting for the first residual. Now it was June. They there was a big movie. It came out in June. I got my first residual check in October. So I'm talking. I got a daughter. I was talking to my daughter. She was like sick. Daddy, I want this and I want that. And I had no money. Oh, it had none. I get that first residual check. So I'm thinking, maybe a thousand bucks I can send this stuff. $27,000 residual check. I flew my daughter in from Omaha. She stayed with me for two months. We blew the whole 27000 But that was the, that saved me. That you paid added, the rent. Paid the rent. Yeah, I absolutely. caught up with my landlady. It was, uh, she, she was like, after my mom. Mrs. Paulson's the greatest woman I've ever been associated with. And she's still alive. No, she passed. Now the, the the I'm still in the same building. They have new owners, but I'm not leaving because they get that law. If you're in the same apartment, they get to pay you when they finally do sell the place. So I'm still at the same apartment since 1985, the same room, and I love it. I go home after the gym. I don't have much of a social life, but I'm, I either go to a fight or this and that. But I, since I've been with Franco, I've been to England, I've been to Philly with him. I've, uh, I've just been. You just went, came from Michigan. Yeah, I just you come back from Michigan. Of Oz, whatever the movie was there. there. So you know. Annapolis. Yeah, I'm so grateful for people have looked out for me my whole life. From my landlord, James Franco, uh, guys in Vegas that helped me out. So, I'm happy to be here. I'm 62. I'm in pretty good shape. I still train. I got a heavyweight I'm working with. I got a 118 pounder. It looks pretty good. You know. Pepper Roach comes over on Pepper Sunday. Pepper Roach every Sunday. I call you on Sunday. Yeah. I had this girlfriend. We had a, <laughs> I had a girlfriend for like a year. She was like 37 years old. I'm 62. I was having a ball, man. What happened? You guys broke up? Well, she was married. So oh, I guess she okay. got, <laughs> back with her husband. But it was like I was training her, and she kind of you know, fell in love me. with Macafoe. Yeah, yeah. That was a ball. Then when I went to Michigan, she followed me out there. How long did she stay out there with you? A couple months. And she's still married? Yeah, still still wow, there. That's amazing. But uh, I don't want to mention any names. I'm, I'm, I How did you trouble. get into acting? How did that happen? Well, let's see. How did that happen? Uh... Well, I started training down Freddie Roach's gym, and uh, there's somebody come in for an audition. And then I went for that audition. I got the part, and I said, "Wow, this is the easiest thing in the world." Well, acting is easy because I've been acting all my life, acting like a fighter, acting like a tough guy. Acting is easy, but getting the job—that's <laughs> the hard part. That's the thing people struggle with. But you know, I love acting too, but it's just. Getting the job is so tough. I mean, yeah. But when I was with James Franco, this last movie, he put me on tape, and I told him all my stories. Well, maybe there'll be a Macafoley story one of these days. <laughs> <laughs>
you're an interesting guy, Macafoy, and I've always liked you. Since Thanks, I Joe. Met you. I always talk about you. I always check up on you. You're one of the rare fucking breeds of people that I really like out here. Yeah. I feel comfortable knowing you and the Australian around. Yeah, well, you're an East get... Coast guy, Joey, and you know you're a stand-up guy. Joey's one of these guys. If you don't answer the phone. Don't leave a message. Oh, I know. Believe to, me, you know, don't I know guys, it. <laughs> don't talk on the phone. Don't talk on when the he phone. does no, talk on the I phone, know. it's never more than 30 seconds. This don't put him on a Facebook email. He will not like that. Oh, <laughs> you hear about that? Oh, because not. you got 140 people. That's not right, Felicia. You want to email me, email me direct and go, hey, bro, I got this thing. But you're going to put me in a thread with 140 people. That's why. And every time they answer, I get an email. So I go home expecting business, and I got three, 16 threads of people talking stupidity. Uh -huh. I got nothing to do with me, really. Don't yeah. put me on a thread. Your buddy put me on a thread about a year ago, talking to the girl from Seattle, the girl, uh -huh. you know, your buddy. Right. I had to get all, you know, I hate threads. Just don't put me on a stupid fucking thread. I'm a man. Talk to me direct, and we'll be fucking fine. There you it's go. Just, there's just so many things you can Just keep it simple. Uh, I don't know. There's no reason to fucking talk all that much. You know, especially on the lines like that. We talk, but... So if someone wanted to uh, get a hold of you for training, I mean, you still do that, so right? So how would they That's do that? That's my life now, training. Okay. Well, right now I'm at Fortune's Gym. 75, 74, Sunset. We're in the back. Now, I love teaching people. I'm not looking for fighters. I got a couple fighters. But I want to work with uh, anybody that... Housewives, like Felicia. Housewives, uh, kids, uh, old people. Now, this guy, here's one of my favorite stories I started training this guy. He was a retired cop or fireman or something. He was 72. First day I worked with him. Oh, my check is, chest is bugging me. I said, you better check that out. He went to the doctors. The doctor said, if you didn't come in, you'd have been dead in less than a couple of days because there was some valve that was blocked. Mm. So he did that, cleared <clears throat> that blockage. And I started training the guy. I still train the guy to this day. He's 97 years old. He still goes like six rounds every Sunday. He lives in Toluca Lake. I go to his house. We work the mitts. You know, it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing that that saved him twenty years. He probably would have been dead twenty years ago if we hadn't done that little workout. You know, and you still work with him? Still work with him. He's pushing a hundred years old. I mean, he's beautiful, and he's an ex. He's a Notre Dame grad. He's an ex baseball player for Notre Dame, and just. He, he thanks me every every time I see him. I, I'd have been gone a long time ago if it wasn't for you. So it's, it's like you. Boxing saved this guy's life. Boxing saved Joey's life. You just got to... There's something about the boxing. It's like the mafia. Once you get in it, you really can't get out and you don't want to get out. Uh -huh. You want to be in it. Well, that's what... You start doing the boxing workout. You just... just gives you the confidence that you need, you know. I want you to come to the gym. I want to give you a workout. Oh. <laughs> well, you'll love it. Believe She'll me, girls, really? are, girls, really? yeah, yeah, girls yeah. are easier to train than guys because guys think they already know how to fight and girls don't know how to fight and they're willing to do what you ever tell them to uh -huh. do, to learn. So they're, they're, they're easier to teach. Oh, really? You know, Maybe I will. Too. You should come in. You should go down there one time. Yeah, I want to yeah. give a shout-out to the gym. Fortune's Gym, 7574 Sunset. I think it's the best gym in town. I mean, it's not... The wild card. I used to be with Freddie at the wild card. But this is a nice gym, too. And uh, we got a couple good fighters. And, you know, it's fun. And that's all. I want it's anyone. a real family environment. So if you get a minute and you want to talk to Nack and go train, the number is 323-845-4755.
As for Naco, or our other fucking anyway, buddy. Uh, stop in and see if you like it. Rocco's son. Oh, yeah. Rocco's son is down there with us. Yeah, and, uh, we call him Travis Bickle because he's a little psycho. Uh, like taxi driver. <laughs> yeah. And they'll also have the Australian, which is... Uh, Justin Fortune, Justin Fortune Lennox Lewis for the heavyweight title in Dublin, Ireland. We got him. We got a couple prospects. So it's, it's good, but the MMA is coming in. MMA is taking over taking boxing over. See, boxing's always been the lowest sport. It's always been the poor man's sport. Now, you know, it was coming back a little. Now boxing's at its worst it's ever been, especially after this decision. Pacquiao and uh, Bradley last week, you know, that set boxing back too, so. Does it bum you out when you see stuff like that? No, I'm not surprised at all when I see it. Yeah. That's just the way boxing is. People think, do you think the fight was fixed? No. I just think it was Pacquiao's turn. The boxing gods said, hey, we're going to screw you this time. And they screwed him. Yeah. You know, but uh, he's won a couple fights that were real close too. Maybe he shouldn't have got the decision there. That's just the way the boxing works. I mean, you win some, you lose some. Now, can you watch the UFC or MMA? Do you enjoy that? Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, Especially if I know the guy, but... it's pretty violent sport, and the thing about MMA, nobody's really died yet. Once somebody gets killed in that sport, they'll stop making rules, and it won't be as uh, fanatical as it is because it's the people. It's pretty exciting, man, to see people get knocked out like that in boxing. Guy gets knocked down, he's a little staggered. They stop the fight. These guys are completely unconscious. When mm-hmm. they usually lose, the guy's on the ground, he getting punched in the mouth. And, you know, by the time the referee steps in, he's asleep. He's unconscious. Right. I mean, it's a pretty violent sport. And it's, you know, the fans want more violence. Fans are shot for the Greek fanatical, fanatics. I mean, they're real, they want, they want the, uh, they crave the action, the bloodshed. Uh-huh. They really do. You know, but it's like in everything, like in baseball, you want to see home runs. So, in a yeah. way, they don't want steroids in baseball, but you got to fucking have them because that's where the action comes from. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing that brought baseball back was when Sosa and the fucking big Irishman McGuire went at it that season. They were hitting two home runs a night. They were at home blasting fucking yeah. everything they had <laughs> to come out there, but it made baseball very interesting. So, yeah. you always try to push the violence in the back but people want to see people yeah. fucking beat up. People want to I mean, see that's why people go. Bet. That's why the heavyweights are so. The heavyweights are the least talented of all the divisions in boxing, but they're the most watched because they're the punches. They're the mm-hmm. hottest punches. People always want to see knockouts. People want to see people get put to sleep. How many times yeah. have you been knocked out? Well, it's funny with me. I've been I've been knocked out so many times in my life because I was a sparring partner for Ernie Shavers, Ron Lyle. These guys, they would knock me down every day, at least once, and they would knock me out once a week. Now, how I'm here talking to you with a normal voice and with my mind pretty well attached is it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that I've been knocked out as many times as I have. Plus, I, when in Vietnam, I get shrapnel in the head. I get wounded twice in Vietnam, shrapnel. And still, and all those knockouts and all the drugs... And I'm still here talking. I mean, it's just... That's a good Irish blood in you. Yeah, it's <laughs> Irish luck, maybe. 
You know, some people go through life scared. You just went with your balls in your hand yeah. and nothing happened. That's I just went and I... Fuck them. I just said, my thing, my thing, if you could do a life story on Macafoley, it would be Macafoley, one man struggle to take it easy. That's all <laughs> I didn't want to do the job. <laughs> that is one of the best things I've heard. <laughs> that's very funny. Well, that's true, though. I mean, I don't want to be the champ. I didn't want. I just wanted to go through and, you know, without working too much. By that's the way, a, I think that's what sucks about nowadays is that no one is okay with just coming in second or third. Like, if that's all you want, you know what I mean? Because even with your kids or how kids are being taught, it's like you got to be first or you're nothing. Yeah. No wonder we're so fucking yeah, everyone depressed. Everyone wants to be the star of the team. I yeah. just want to be on the team. I don't want to be the star. <laughs> I don't want to be the main focus because. I'll screw that up. I know myself. <laughs> <laughs> so. At least you know that going in, brother. Yeah, I know that going in. So I don't, hey, it's my fighter. I want this or I want this. I want none of that. I just want to be unknown. Nobody knows you. Just just part of the, this, uh, an assistant or helping the guy that makes it. You know, that's what I want. That's funny because... You know, you want to do stand-up, and I don't mind working on a TV show, but I would hate for people to fucking torment you. Like, you're high half the time. Yeah. I don't, you know, like, you want the job, but that's the part of it that, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really, I never really cared about that side of it. I like doing it. I like being funny, and I yeah, like yeah. doing great with stand-up, but it's tough when you just want to sit in the back of a restaurant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to sit in the front. That's never been for me. I yeah, never yeah. wanted a convertible. That's never been for me. You know, you know, yeah. as long as you know it going in, you know, and that's, that's the, the most important thing about life, knowing something before you go in. You're like, this is what I need to know. A lot of people yeah. know it and they don't want to know it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you knew this going in. Okay. But did it ever strike you? Like, I keep thinking about how you said you met that guy in the back of a flower shop. Did When you were walking through that flower shop, knowing that you're probably going to meet, you know, someone pretty heavy, like, did it strike you like, this is fucking just weird? No, this was opportunities for guys like me. By the way, if you've liked today's uh, little discussion that we had, you can do us a big favor and go to iTunes and leave us a little review. You know, Joey, we were like number six or something on the hot list today. Really? I saw, yeah. I don't mean that braggy. I mean that as it makes me feel happy because then maybe other people will stumble across the podcast. You know? well, thank you very much for making us number six. Hey, Felicia, next week, let the people know. Next Wednesday, we're at Cobbs, yeah. July 11th, and then the 12th to the 15th, we're at the Sacramento Punchline. So please come out. I want to give another shout out to our sponsors, audiblepodcast.com, B-A-D-B, for a free audio book download. You understand me? So please, go to audiopodcast.com, go to the B, put a slash, B-A-D-B, for being the beast, don't be so stupid, and get your free media download book. All right? That's it. It's that easy. Or you can also do us a big favor and go to Joey Coca Diaz's uh, website at joeycocadiaz.net and uh, you can look and see when Joey's coming to your town and there's links right on there that'll take you right to the comedy clubs. That's right. And also a shout out to TaintedVisions.com, another sponsor of ours. And that's it. We hope you have a, you had a happy 4th of July and everything's a beautiful fucking summer for you. Right, cocksuckers? Macafoley. Keep Thank punching, you very much baby. For coming out here. <laughs> I love you, cocksucker. Visit Maca down at Fortune's Gym. He'll train you the right way. All right? Stay black. I love you. Mm. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, honey. Wow.